Amen. Thank you, Ty, our worship team. <clears throat> Make yourself comfortable. Not too comfortable. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew. Matthew, towards the end, chapter 26. Chapter 26. Matthew 26. I'm going to read in just a moment verses 17 through 35. You know, I love that, that song from the inside out. I, I pray for our church that I guess the impact God has on our lives is from the inside out. And hear me on this. This is easy you can miss. And the, these songs that, that they select, uh, I, love, I love the thought they put into it because it does have deep meaning. But, you know, it's not from the, from the outside in as in like how we, we look or appear or, or do for the Lord that impacts our heart. It should be from the heart, from the inside out. Uh, And also from the church, from the inside here, that we gather and we should scatter, uh, as I said, in the connect time, the connections and the relationships that you have, God has given to you. Uh, We are a community. Uh, I pray, our our elders pray, our staff prays, my, my wife prays, our uh, our deacons pray that people would be knitted more and more into the fabric of this community. But not just to like stay here. It is to go out uh, to the relationships God's given you. Uh, as I said, this week has been full with uh, a funeral many of us participated in with Ash Wednesday. Uh, that a lot of us gave some things to the Lord physically. Uh, we had a time uh, of, of burning to ashes and some of you participated in that. And we had a, a community uh, wedding yesterday that we also celebrated. So uh, the Lord is, is knitting us into the relationships and connections of this city, which is a good thing. And I hope that it is from the inside, what the Holy Spirit does here, that we go uh, outside to the city and to the world. All that to say, Matthew 26. So we're doing, we are starting a Lenten series. Uh, I... I particularly, I love Lent and Advent. Uh, And just about every year uh, that I've been pastor of this church, so in the history of the church, I guess, uh, we like to honor Lent and Advent because they are are historic. Uh, They are things that the Big C Church has said, these are times that we want to intentionally, you can always grow closer to the Lord. But Advent, obviously Christmas, and Lent leading to Easter are times when Christians over centuries have said these are times we want to intentionally focus on drawing closer to the Lord. I said this Wednesday night. Many of us just really think about Lent as like, you know, what do you give up over Lent? Uh, I, I personally am, am giving something to the Lord, uh, something I believe that holds me uh, back from my walk with the Lord. Uh, but I'm not going to like, well, I, you know, Monday after Easter, oh yeah, you know, here I can, I can do whatever again. It's supposed to be a thoughtful time, a reflective time of saying, well, are there things that hold me back from my walk with the Lord? And those could be uh, bitterness, resentment in your heart, can be pride, can be fractured relationships. And what can I do to draw closer to the cross? And so for us, on Sundays, we're going to take... Uh, the last night, okay, the last night of, of Jesus's, I mean, you could say earthly life, but he, 
returned. But the last night before the cross, so before he did what he was sent to do, the primary purpose of Jesus' life on earth, his ministry, was the cross. And by the cross, he defeated the grave. And so we're going to focus each Sunday on this, the end of Matthew. And I'm calling it the last dark night. The last dark night. Because really, uh, as Hunter uh, so ably put earlier, we, we can have our dark nights. But if you think about it, this really was the last dark night. Because after this, after this, Jesus went to the cross. He did the work we could not do. He accomplished our salvation. Uh, so now, any dark nights that we face, and a lot, look, a lot of folks will face dark nights of depression, of death, death of a loved one, but we can know, we can know since this dark night that Jesus has paid it all, Jesus has done it all. So really, really you should be thinking, bear with me, and I've, that this night was really the last dark night. Because after this, Jesus, is, Jesus has done it. He's with us. He saved us. So, let's see. I'm going to read verse 17 to 35. We're going to start with the, with the Lord's Supper, Thursday night. Verse 17. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat Passover? Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him... The teacher says, my time is near. I'm celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. He replied, the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, He gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After seeing him, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, tonight all of you will fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to deny, even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Let's, let's stop there. First off, with this, with this look towards the end of Matthew leading up to Easter, you know, we're not going to be able to cover everything. So like today, I really want to focus on the Lord's Supper. 
But I read it in the context of, you know, before the Lord's Supper happened, Judas was betraying him. After the Lord's Supper happened, as he said, all the disciples, all of those whom he'd spent the last three years with, really scattered, left him. And Peter, one of the closest, denied even knowing him. And I say that to say that Jesus' love for them, I mean for us, obviously we're not perfect. We highlight that a lot. You can come, you know, as you are. But here, Jesus' love so great that he is being with them. He's eating with them. He's partaking of the Lord's Supper, really the first supper, with them, even knowing, you know, that they will, will scatter. I don't think we should miss that. I, uh, one of my convictions in doing this is I want all of us, myself included, uh, to know what we know. What do I mean by that? I highlighted it also in the Apostles' Creed. A lot of us have been raised in the church. We kind of just know this, this deal. We know the patterns of the church. We are familiar with Lent. We're familiar with Advent. We're familiar with uh, Memorial Day Sundays and Spring Break Sundays and Summer Sundays. And you kind of begin, let me say this, because I did it and my family did it throughout our life. You kind of take church for granted. Like, yeah, I mean, it's church. It's just part of the, the fabric of your, our life down here and the buckle of the Bible Belt. And I read an article, and, and if you'd like me to, to share this, I will, because I sent it to a Bible study small group that I lead, from Christianity Today, talking about growing uh, ministry in the Bible Belt uh, and how difficult that it can be because a lot of folks, you know, think they are Christian. This just to sum it up. Think they're Christian and they're not. Okay? Now, I'm not saying this about you. Don't hear that. I am saying that it is highly possible where we live to kind of know the stuff without knowing it in your heart. So, like, you can quote the Apostles' Creed, but it doesn't, it hasn't taken, like, root in your heart and growing. You, you basically, your heart has not been, and this is a scriptural term, been regenerated, renewed. So that's a huge concern for me. That's probably my biggest concern in ministry down here, that Scripture says, you know, I'll stand before the Lord and give an account, and so I would like to do everything that I could do for you so that you could know, one without a doubt, but also for others, you know, that is, that's a believer, that's a Christian. He or she knows the Lord. I've told this story before, and I will tell it again, as long as I'm doing ministry in the Bible Belt, but a God, I thought a godly man at another church into his 90s had served in a church in every capacity, okay? Deacon. They didn't have elders, but he would have been considered like an elder. Gone through Curcio, some of you know that, or walked to Emmaus. Been very active involved in this. I pastored him as he was nearing his death in his 90s. And he said, how do I really know? How do I really know that I will be with the Lord? I think that man is with the Lord. I don't want that for, I don't want that for any 
person in any church, but I know it's highly possible. And you kind of do these things and, and get kind of active in church or ministries, but you don't know in your heart. You don't know what that, that wooden shape back there really means, the cross. We see it as like, yeah, it's a good decorative uh, piece for the church, and, you know, it makes it feel like a church. No. No, it means so much more. So Lent is really a time where we get to know more what the cross means. All the, all the other, well, and Christianity is not even a religion, but all the religions of the world, if we say Christianity is not a religion, all the religions, the founder of those religions, Judaism, you could say even Moses uh, or Abraham, uh, Islam, Muhammad, Buddha, all the founders of the religion of the world died a very honorable death uh, later in their life. Even Moses, even though he wasn't able to see the promised land, uh, and look, Moses is Bible. I'm looking at how Jews see Moses. Moses and Abraham uh, died later in life, and it was uh, it was honorable. Okay, Christianity, founder of our faith, is Christ. Died a very dishonorable, scandalous, a horrific death, and he was not. Uh, he was not old. He was 33, around 33 years old. He'd had around three years of ministry. Uh, the cross, you know this, in the Roman Empire, the cross like became a curse word, okay? So you, we all know curse words. Uh, so you know, imagine, uh, I don't know if I should do this or not, D- do this anyway. I mean, imagine, imagine the worst word you can think of, the worst curse word, and blank church, okay? I say that because that, the word cross in the Roman Empire was regarded as, as that that bad of a word. And yet the Christians, the early Christians, took it and said, you know, that's what we want. We want the cross. Uh, we want to know the cross. We want the cross as the chief symbol in our gatherings and in our uh, art, early Christian paintings. We want that. Known as a curse word, uh, scandalous. Only the worst of the worst would die there. And in dying there, they would die a horrific death. That we still, to this day, we can't fully uh, acknowledge because of, uh, because of the horror of it and what it did to a person. Why? Why is that? The Lord's Supper should uh, tell us so. And the Lord's Supper is another thing. So we're going to take communion, as you might know it, or the Lord's Supper at the end. We do it just about every Sunday. We don't do it uh, to make it like, oh, uh, we... It's a rote deal or a, a churchy deal. And, and I know that doing it every Sunday, it can become like that. Uh, we do it because it's, it's the only thing, it's the only thing that Jesus says, do this as many times as you can. It's the only, you can go through scriptures, the only thing Jesus says, do this as often as you can, the Lord's Supper. And because I believe, and I'll get to this uh, later in a minute, I believe that more so than preaching, look, I, you know, I'm not saying anything, I'm not Catholic, I'm not saying anything from people that have a Catholic tradition, uh, but it's interesting I'm saying this and not having any, any Catholic roots, okay? But more so than preaching, more so than worship, uh, more so than a small group, more so than uh, mentoring, I believe that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, can transform 
your heart, okay, can really make the cross real in your heart through the coming to the Lord's table, partaking of the Lord's Supper, that it's a supernatural event going on here. It's what we call a sacrament. That there's something more than just the, the rigors of, of getting up and coming down and whether hopefully not, but roteness that folks see, that a supernatural, not of this world, deal is going on. Making the cross real. So in this passage where the, Jesus starts, institutes the Lord's Supper, I think he's telling us about the cross. Because you come to the Lord's Supper, we really, the reason we have the cross center, we should, you really should be focused on the cross, and, and these two kind of fuse together. Because you take, and I, honestly I haven't preached on this I think enough, really trying to connect the cross with communion, but taking the bread, the body of Christ, dipping it as we do in the cup, the blood. These things are fusing. The Holy Spirit is making the cross known in your heart. And Jesus is explaining. So in the past, I'm going to focus really on, um, what is it, 20, 26 through 30 here. But he's showing, he's showing the, the centrality of the cross, purpose of the cross, what it means for us, how to connect, okay? So quickly here. The centrality of the cross. So verse 26 says, As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed, broke it, gave it to the disciples, said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now before this, and one of the reasons I wanted to read through verse 17 uh, and then about Judas, but we can't get into Judas and the betrayal. Some of you may, may want to, but it just... It would take up too much time. But it's the Passover. He says that in this Passover. It's, he's celebrating the Passover. Now, the Passover was and is uh, a, Jewish, it's a Jewish deal. Uh, I hesitate to say ritual, but I don't want, uh, I don't want Jews to, uh, they're folks with Jewish uh, connection or origin to, uh, I, I just don't know as much about Judaism, even though uh, my wife and I took a class on it in in seminary, but so it's, it's this ritual, it's this tradition, the Passover. And in any Passover, uh, there is a, uh, there's a presider. And some of you may have Jewish friends or, or relationships or even family. And so they still honor this, still do this Passover meal, and there's a presider of the Passover meal. So here, in this instance, Jesus is acting as the presider. And he's saying, he's saying, Take and eat, this is my body. So something, and this may be more information you know, but I think it's important here to connect, okay? The presider would take the bread of the Passover. Each Passover, they'd celebrate with bread, with wine, a cup, and with a lamb. Those three, you had to have those three, even today. So the presider uh, would take the bread and say, this is, he'd break it and say, this is the bread of our affliction, of our affliction. Jesus does something different here. He's essentially taking the bread and saying, this is the bread of my affliction. This is my body that's been broken for you. Jesus is is saying, he's really saying to us, the centrality of the cross that all all of history up to this point has been moving to this event on the cross. Uh, The cross, we love to focus on the empty tomb, you know, that there's, you know, death has been defeated, resurrection. I love it. You love it. Uh, 
But the central event of history, of all history, not just Christian history, all history, as a Christian I would say that, is the cross, is Good Friday. And so he's saying the centrality of this, you know, this is, this is my affliction, this is my body, this is what I came to do. I came to, to die, to be sacrificed for you. The centrality of it there. And, and that, I believe, is also one of the reasons that he tells us to do the Lord's Supper, do communion over and over and over again. Do it as often as we can. Centrality of it. Uh, the purpose of it, though, okay, so you say, okay, so you came to be sacrificed. This is the bread of my affliction. I'm taking this affliction on. But then the per- So then you'd ask, why? It's a separate point. Okay, why is that the case? The second statement Jesus says, verse 27, he takes the cup, he gives thanks, he gives to them and says, drink from it all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's the why, that's the purpose, for the forgiveness of sins. Now, something that's very important to know, you know, there's so many big things that are in the little things in Scripture Stay with me here. This is like really important. That word, for the forgiveness of sins. Often, and I don't know Greek. We may have some folks that know ancient Greek, but I, I don't. <laughs> and I spent a year and a half uh, trying to at least get a rudimentary, and, and I failed. Uh, not literally, but nearly failed. Uh, so I said, so that for, sometimes the English doesn't do justice. The original translation would be instead of, uh, for you, this is the blood of covenant which is poured out for many uh, instead of you. So instead of you, uh, this is happening. As in like, you can't uh, save yourself, but not only can you save yourselves, we talked about this last week. We're doing Jonah. How can a God be totally just? And how can he be totally merciful? So how can he be totally just in saying like, you know, all the wrongs will be righted, but totally merciful as in like that 90 plus year old who is a scoundrel and far from God and then at the last moment really legitimately receives and goes to be with the Lord. Because the justice of God was met on the cross, the wrath of God came to Jesus, instead of us, uh, therefore God can give the mercy to any and all because Jesus took it instead of us. Instead of. Very key point there. You know, again, this is a meal. This is a Jewish meal. This is the Passover. There's bread. There's the cup. There's wine. It wasn't Welch's. They didn't have it then. Real wine, okay? Israel. But there's no lamb. As I said, all today and then, okay, no lamb. Where's the lamb? Jesus is, Jesus is the lamb here. Jesus is the lamb. We talked about this even in the Jonah, you know, everything connects, even uh, the month in Jonah. You know, for the forgiveness of sins, Jewish thought, Old Testament, there would have to be blood spilt, and I've seen renditions of this, and it's kind of, I'm not a big blood guy, 
my wife knows this, but it would be spilt on the altar, which would be for the forgiveness of folks' sins. Where did that come from? It came from Exodus, going back, Moses. You might know the Sunday school story, the Bible story. Moses came, he asked Pharaoh over and over and over again. Pharaoh said no. They sent, uh, you know, the Nile, turned to blood, sent flies, frogs, you know, everything. Pharaoh said no. The last sign was that uh, an angel would come and kill all the firstborns uh, in, in Egypt. For the Jewish people, for God's people to save their firstborn son, they had to do something. Had to put the blood of the lamb, kill a lamb, and put the blood on the, on the door. And so then the angel, and I believe the scripture called the angel of death, would come by and pass over their door. So their firstborn would be saved. Now all firstborns can be saved because God sent his firstborn, his only born, to save us. The blood of the lamb then, the blood of the lamb now for all. Those in Exodus didn't know what it meant, but it is a sign and it's one of the great beautiful things about how the Old Testament connects to the New and how this, the blood of the Lamb, we might sing that, you might know that again, and it becomes just so rogue, what is it? But it's tied into all of, all of Scripture. There was no Lamb here, but there was a Lamb here. It was Jesus. So he sacrificed. So the purpose then for the forgiveness of sin, the purpose then is God's mercy to save all. The purpose that his blood would be shed as a sacrifice. As a, and this is a word that's used in Christian teaching, as a substitute. A sacrificial, self-sacrificing substitute for all to be able to come to know the Lord. In an instant, in a moment, it's possible. Now, last thing, what does it mean and how to connect with this? Okay? Uh, Going back to centrality, biggest moment in history... Christ took the affliction. Why? Forgive us sin so God's mercy could be spread out amongst all. What's it mean? How to connect? How can we connect to it? Well, one way what it means is if Jesus' death is a substitute, is self-sacrificing, then Christianity, I would say, it's really all or nothing a faith. It's really all or nothing faith. What do I mean by that? Uh, Later on, after Jesus rose again, the emperor, the Roman emperor at the time, a couple hundred years later, when Christianity became the formal religion of the Roman Empire, he put a cross uh, in a temple with all the other religions of the world. And Christians refused to go into that temple. And the reason they refused is they said something like that, like Christianity is all or nothing. It's not like one of many. It's all or nothing. Because if, if, it wasn't, if, if it wasn't all or nothing, okay, then really Christ would not have to die such a horrific, costly death. But because it's all or nothing, because it had to be done, it had to be done for us to be saved, it's like, yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
The cross is why we can say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not his teachings, the way, the truth, and the life. It's not because he, uh, what he said. It's not because of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the, because of the cross. It's all or nothing. Think of it like this. If you guys, and some of you guys know this, you're, you're courting. You're, a, oh, you're courting a girl, and, and maybe the girl is not that into you. Have you got, any of you got experience with that? Not that into you? Trevor, you got experience with that? You just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just thought of you. I don't know. I just I'm glad you're here today. <laughs> no, I know you're here. I saw you. Uh, so you're courting a girl. She's not into you. You're, you're taking a walk. You're doing a romantic stroll along some, and there's a river or a stream beside you. And it's like, you know, I love you so much, and I want to show you how much I love you. What I don't want to show you how much I love you. I'm just going to jump in the stream or the river and die. That's how much I love you, okay? That's kind of stupid, isn't it? That's how a lot of people attribute the cross in Christianity. What do I mean by that? Well, God died because he loved us so much. <laughs> like, he didn't do the cross to show us how much he loved us. That, that's really, that's, that's what a lot of people think of. The cross, yeah, why did he die? Well, he loved us so much, and he wanted to show us his love for us. Now, if that girl was about to die and needed to be rescued, and then the, the gentleman, the, the knight in shining armor, rescued her and gave his life to rescue her, that is showing his love for her. And that's why it's all or nothing. He had to. We could not save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. You cannot save yourselves, not by good looks, not by good actions, not by a great career, not by wealth, position, all of that. Whatever that is for you, it's not going to save you. God knows that, sent Jesus, it was an all or nothing deal. What it means, the cross means, like, this had to happen so that we could be saved, so we could be made right with God, so that we could have heaven, so we could experience heaven. But... It doesn't just happen on its own, okay? It doesn't just happen by osmosis. You have to receive it. You have to receive faith. You also have to receive the Lord's Supper. You have to make it known. So what does it mean, all or nothing, that he was giving his life because he had to? Also, what does it mean is you need to make it a reality in your life. And the reason we do communion week after week is to try to make the cross... A reality, a living reality, the body and the blood shed, given for you, a reality. And I believe, as I said earlier, more so than preaching, more so than preaching of a, I don't know, I mean, Billy Graham or whatever, more so than worship, of, more so than the arts, more so the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, do this as often as you can. There's got to be something there. And the Holy Spirit can work and really kind of create the cross, renew the cross in your, in your heart as you're, as you're seeing, as you're partaking this. I believe that, you know, what Jesus has done in the cross, what we have in the Lord's Supper, is God saying, you, your name, you have infinite value to me. I'd ask you now, as we get, we get closing, we're ready to take Lord's Supper, I, I really pray today if any day that we do on this 
Sunday, the spring break Sunday, I, believe, I really pray we do the Lord's Supper right. Sometimes I'm convicted, and, and I would take the blame for that. Maybe we don't do it right because we don't know, and I haven't fully kind of fleshed, no pun intended there, fleshed it out. But do you feel of infinite value? You probably don't. I know often I don't. What the cross means is that you are of infinite value, infinite value to the one whose opinion means uh, more than anybody else. You have infinite value. A phrase I I like to use, serene confidence, because those two words don't always go together, serene confidence. Do you have that? Do you have that as you walk out this door, as you go to lunch? Do you have serene confidence as as you peruse Facebook and see all the places that everybody else is? Do you have serene confidence in your, in your life, and your walk with the Lord. The cross should give that to us. The Lord's Supper should give that to us because it's saying you are of infinite value. You can have serenity and confidence in what God has done for you in the cross. The Lord's Supper should, should fill us with this. It should. It really should. Uh, the Lord's Supper should, should humble us. We taught in a Sunday... I mean, I guess it, when it looks and smells like Sunday school, we don't call it Sunday school, but it is Sunday school. In a group earlier this morning about humility, the cross gives humility to our Christian life. Coming up and that the founder of our faith, his body was broken, his blood was shed. It should give humility. It should cause us to, in that humility, be able to relate and connect and have relationships with people that we would say, yeah, I can never hang with them but out of that humility. Are you suffering? Are you suffering? Jesus is the founder of our faith, and Jesus has scars. And we have scars. So if you're suffering, you're in very good company. The cross, Lord's Supper would say, don't judge a book by its cover. Paul said, you know, to the world, the cross, maybe not now, but then, I mean, it looks like, you know, foolishness. And we see it as strength. The cross, the Lord's Supper. The last thing is I close my Bible. I've always uh, wrestled kind of with that passage. Jesus says, you know, I won't drink or eat of it until I'm with you again in, in the kingdom. And there's hope in that too. So I want to end with the future. Like coming to take the Lord's Supper, there's going to be a feast one day. If you know Christ, if you've received him, uh, Jesus calls it a wedding banquet, a banquet, a feast together in the new heavens and the new earth. So it should be a reminder of what is to come. Uh, close the story. I'm reading through or rereading Lord of the Rings. Love that. Highly recommend it. And it's really infused with a lot of Christian illustrations. And one of them is Pippin. Pipkin, Pippin. I always think of Pippin when I think of Pipkin here. Pippin was about to die. He was at the gates of a city, and he was looking for Gandalf. Some of you know Gandalf. And right before, there was this black, dark lord that was about to kill him. And right before he was about to die, he heard a horn. And the horn was being blown by the king, King Theoden. And the black, dark lord stopped and turned and went out. And he eventually died. I'm not ruining anything. And the king came to save the city with his army. But the king died on the battlefield to save the city and including... Pippin. And in the book, it says every other time in the rest of his life, when he heard a horn, he would always cry. 
because he would remember the horn he heard that the king blew to come to the battlefield to save his life and the life of the city. I say that communion should be, the Lord's Supper should be, a remembrance too of the king who came, defeated the dark lord. Lord, read it. High Christian symbolism. Defeat the dark lord, gave his life so that cities could be saved, so that lives could be saved. So it's like a horn to remember what the king has done to save us and that we will be with him to partake with him. And that's a great hope, a living hope. I want you to have that hope. I want it to be real with you in communion. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that we receive what the cross gives. I pray that we receive it in the work that you're doing, not that you would do or could do, but are doing as we come to the Lord's Supper. I pray that it gives us humility and it gives us hope. Humility here for ourselves and for others. Hope in what you're doing in our life today and hope uh, for eternity that we will be with you and celebrate. I pray people come to know the cross more this Lenten season, that it's made real in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.